So I would say if anyone does plan to take the boards in Canada, it'd be best to do it fresh out of school because it's not really knowing everything, but it's a matter of you being able to retain what you review for. Today, we have Dr. William Rodriguez joining us on our fourth episode of Tooth Untold podcast. He's the practice owner of the Smile Center in Mississauga, Ontario. He's a graduate of the University of the East, College of Dentistry, and passed the National Dental Examining Board of Canada in 1995. To top it off, he's a fellow of the Pierre Fauchard Academy. Join us as we discuss Dr. Rodriguez's journey to becoming a licensed dentist in Canada. Let's get to it. And now tell us what's up. Welcome to Tooth Untold Podcast, where we interview exceptional dentists from around the world. In each episode, we probe the mind of a dentist and extract wisdom and knowledge from their experiences. Now here's your host, Kevin Zappa. Good morning, Dr. Rodriguez. Hey, good morning, Kev. Let's throw it back a little bit. So, could you tell us a little bit about your experience as a dental student at the University of the East College of Dentistry? When I was a student at UE, we were the very first batch to have five sections. So, prior to us, there were probably only about two or three sections. But when we when we came in uh, in 1976—that's <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> when we came in, I think there was an enormous amount of applicants that wanted to come into UE dentistry. And so what they did, they opened up up to five sections. Imagine having five sections of about 30 people per section uh, and and trying to get into a a clinic which had only about uh, 22 chairs in resto, eight chairs in surgery, uh, probably about 30 chairs in diagnostic and about 10 chairs in pedo. And I would say about 15, 20 chairs in Prost, uh, really, or, and then about six chairs in Endo. So that's really struggling to get a chair, to, you know, to jockey a chair and position yourself into it. So it was tough. It was very tough. Uh, you know, we worked long hours uh, from, I think it was eight to seven at night. Uh, I don't know how, what time your hours are in the office. I mean, in, in the uh, school now. And it was, it was a small school. It was a small school. And, and um, learning back then, there was nothing with regards to technology. So there's no laptops, there's no computers. Everything was like on projector slides, if ever. And most of it, you depend on books. And, and uh, so, you know, you'd be lugging around these big freaking <laughs> books. Uh, <laughs> you know, of histology, anatomy, general histology, oral histology, oral surgery. So there's a lot of books. We read a lot of books. It was, it was, it was very tough, you know, and then everybody wanted you to read the first chapter in your first day. So that was a lot of reading to do. Now, as an instructor, what was your experience like teaching at UE? That was a challenge too. Uh, you know, I, I was like, we were, and again, when, when I started teaching, we were the first batch of instructors. Like we had the biggest number of young instructors that came in as instructors. So there was always a first in our batch. Uh, I think there were about 15 of us 
hired new instructors all at once. So that's that's a big number. Uh, it was all it was almost like one third of it were from UP. So there were UP grads that came in as instructors as well at UE. Uh, some of them stayed. Some of them went back to UP. And so the joke was that UP was using UE as a training ground for their instructors. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, UE definitely has exceptional instructors. Moving on to my next question. What were the subjects that you taught back then? With regards to subjects in class, uh, I had my own very class in microbiology. And, and that subject is, is a very difficult subject to teach. So when we were students in microbiology, it was, it was so basic, um, super basic. There was some dental uh, involvement in it, but it was majorly more into microbiology for medicine for that purpose. So I had to recreate it in such a way uh, that I made it more interesting for the students. So when we were asked to do culture, and I'm sure you did culture as well. Did you do culture? Yeah. So, and it was just laboratory culture, right? Yeah. So what I did to make it more interesting for the students was I asked permission from all the supervisors at uh, in the different areas that I'd be sending down students to swab the whole operatory or the whole clinic. So I, I gave them, you know, okay, everybody you group up, you know, you go into all the departments and I want you to swab everything from that light handle to the switches, to the instruments, to the trays, uh, everything that you know will be in contact with the student. You wouldn't believe what came out. Of course, back then, you know, uh, sterilization and infection pr prevention and control was not that strict. So my goal was to make them realize that inside the infirmary or, or the, uh, the clinical setting, you know, you can, you can garb up, you can put up a mask, you can be wearing gloves, you can all do all this, but are the instruments 100% sterilized that go in the mouth? and they realized it wasn't, <laughs> even if they've been through the sterilization area, right? And it all boils down to that individual being very, very careful as to creating sterility within the operatory or within the clinical setting. So it was an eye opener for them and, and uh, it made it quite interesting for them. So, you know, that was the first class that ever did that in, uh, I, don't, I, I don't recall during our student days of anyone coming down from the microbiology class and swabbing everything inside the operatory or inside the clinical setting. I don't recall seeing students do that. So when I did that, that was like an eye opener for them. So that made it quite interesting. And I hope they embedded in their mind that you have to be very, very careful, you know, uh, when it comes to sterility and all that. It's actually really great how you integrate dentistry and microbiology and give them that kind of activity definitely puts things into perspective. So if we deviate from this topic, um, I just want to share a little bit of my experience. Um, I didn't pick up a handpiece until second year. And the first two years were actually more on the medical courses. And I'm actually really grateful because it's like, it's like I actually attended medical school, which was one of my childhood dreams. 
and yeah. In, in UE, uh, looking back now, what they have and looking at what my son went through, and you're right, at, at, at his university, uh, when I visited him the first year, he had a model in front of him and their model was like a hockey puck. And in that hockey puck, they had outlines of cavity preparations, just outlines. So imagine a hockey puck that's flat, right? With all the outlines, uh, you know, you, the reverse bevels and all that, and you name it, every outline that you will require to do a prep, like an MOD, MODL, MODLV, or B, um, it was there on that hockey puck. And he had to prep that using a handpiece. And that was first year, right? That was first year. So aside from having medical subjects, they were into doing practical right away. And I was amazed. I was totally amazed as, as, as how they were being taught. So I don't know about here in Canada. I haven't seen, you know, U of T or Western grads and how they do it. But just looking back at what he had to do at first year, it, you know, it's pretty good. So it's still a mixture, right? Uh, medical subjects are important. You will need that. Uh, not a whole lot later on, not unless you go into, into surgery and all that. But it's important. It's important to know. Uh, it's important to know all the connections. And I think by knowing that, uh, it, it helps you in general. Because when you look at the mouth, you're not just treating the mouth. Or when you look at a person, you're not just treating the mouth, but you're treating the whole entire individual. And so when you do go into practice, eventually you have to assess the whole person and not just the mouth. And when you, when you treat the person as a person and not as a tooth, then you will be more successful and you will have more definitive outcomes. And, and, and I think you'd help the individual more than just by treating him for a broken tooth. So yeah, I mean, nowadays I think the, the medium of instruction or the way they teach people now is more advanced. I don't know how it is in, in UE. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a long time and I hope it's changed. I know there are some uh, instructors there that are still there that, you know, been there since I've been there uh, or, or probably, you know, it could be somebody else. But uh, I think if they open up their eyes more and, and look into the way instructions are done in other schools, and adapt to it, I think it'd be more beneficial for you guys. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that there's this misconception that dentists are only limited to treating the teeth. And what they don't see is you need to incorporate what happens throughout the whole body to come up to a diagnosis. And like, as you said, you know, there would be a more definitive outcome if you treat the person as a whole. Definitely. Yeah. And, and it's very important. It's important to know that because without knowledge of that, um, we have to realize that digestion starts with the teeth. I mean, with the mouth, you know, and without knowing what the body needs and, and being able to function without proper digestion, then, you know, we're going to be at a loss. So yeah, we've been pretty good. Uh, we used to also do hospital rotations. I don't know if you guys still do that, but we did the rounds with the medical doctors during our time, which was very, very helpful because when you do the rounds with the medical doctors in the hospital, then you realize the process of the way they um, treat the patients. 
and and you become more knowledgeable with the entire aspect of of a complete uh, knowledge of the entire body and, and the way medical the medical profession approaches treatment. So for me, that was a very good experience that we we were able to go to all the different departments from from even Obigaini. Would you believe that? <laughs> yep, at the outpatient clinic, we were assigned there. So we observed everything. We, we, we could not say anything. We were just there to observe. So we observed uh, the way they, they do the diagnosis, uh, the way they assess patients uh, in all the departments, even mental, even the mental infirmary. Yeah, so we did all that during our hospital dentistry. So I don't know if, you know, because you're not in there yet. You're not at that year level where you do hospital dentistry. But yeah, so we were very fortunate that we got to walk the rounds with the doctors going into each different department. Yeah. The most, the most interesting part was when we were in the emergency department, just observing all the emergencies that come in. And, and then you'd, you'd, you know, you'd see trauma. And then when, head and, when the facial trauma is involved, then of course teeth are involved, right? So then you go, oh, okay. So now you just observe, you sit back, you observe and see what happens. And then you get questions sometimes, but you know, not they, they won't really rely on your, your your opinion, but they just want to test you once in a while. So that's quite quite interesting. Hopefully this pandemic finishes soon so that you know we could experience hospital dentistry in the near future. Now moving on to my next question, how did UE prepare you for the board exam? Okay, so UE always has pre-boards, practicals, right? Uh, for the board exams. Uh, that's very important because on the practical side of that, you speak about the board exam in the Philippines? Yeah, let's start with the, the Philippine board exams first. Okay, so in the Philippines, we, of course, you, the pre-board made a very important part of making you aware of how it's going to be. So when it came to doing the board exams, the pre-boards were even more strict because you did more on the pre-board in the clinic than the real board exam itself. So as long as you can pass that pre-board in the Philippines in, at, at UE, there's no reason why you couldn't pass the board exams in, in the Philippines in the practical aspect. When it came to the uh, written part, back then they didn't really have any um, board exam schools or, or board exam uh, review centers. I think that came out a couple of years or a few years after we graduated. And so I know some of my colleagues, uh, you know, they're being invited to do those uh, exams, like uh, <clears throat> prep, prep centers where people can prep, they, they re review centers rather, and they can review the written aspect of it, right? All, all the theoretical part of it. So back then we were on our own for the theory. Practicals, we were great, right? But when it came to theory, you're on your own. So we we grouped together, we studied together for months or a couple of months at least, you know, before taking the board exam. So it was like really, you uh, helped yourself. <clears throat> now let's talk about the Canadian boards. How did UE help you prepare for the Canadian boards? Um, that's that's a totally different question. I mean, uh, system that goes on in there. So 
for the Canadian board exams, it was a lot more difficult because the Canadian system, although there were some similarities back then, what was being asked uh, relied a lot more on the theory here. So going back to your, your basic question as, okay, why are they doing uh, all these medical subjects and all that? It's important. It helps too, right? Because that's going to come out in the, in the Canadian board. Excuse me. <coughs> so to prepare for the Canadian boards, I had to rely on, on my friends, uh, reviewers. And, and they had some notes on their own as well. Because the questions that pop up, although they may be similar to the ones that are being given as questions in your exams or your, uh, your subject exams, um, it, it's, the, it's the way they, they ask it. You have to be very, very, <clears throat> you have to read the questions well. Because you may think that by reading that question, you know the answer right away. <clears throat> it's not, it's, it's very tricky. So it's a trick question. So you really have to comprehend the question before you answer. Because a lot of times you jump into a conclusion right away without almost really completing or understanding the subject or that, that question. And then you end up answering the wrong, uh, you know, the wrong, giving out the wrong answer. So having said that, you really had to review yourself onto the, onto the basics again. So, and that was hard for me because being out of school for six years, no, five, five years, five to, yeah, five to six years, and then going back and, do the, and trying to study again, you know, your brain after a couple of years just doesn't absorb as good as when you're a student. So I would say if anyone does plan to take the boards in Canada, it'd be best to do it fresh out of school because it's not really knowing everything but it's a matter of you being able to retain what you review for. Uh, and, and your brain, you know, when you haven't used it for a while, it, you get exhausted right away and you fall asleep just reading, reading a few pages, you'll, you'll fall asleep. <clears throat> so you have to be really fresh out of school to be able to really do well in the board exams. Although, uh, you know, you can prep for it. So that'll at least take you six months uh, of continuing, you know, every day uh, reviewing for the board exams. So the Canadian way, or, or apparently from what I gathered coming from my associates and my and uh, some colleagues that have graduated from UE, when they were reviewing for the board exams, it had to be the Canadian way. So for them, what was beneficial, and I think for me as well, what was beneficial was knowing the way the Canadian the Canadian system or the Canadian schools ask questions. And by knowing that, right, it helps you to, to be able to answer that. So it's, it's, it's a matter of practicing, right? Reading the questions, doing the mock exams, uh, reading old reviewers or, or they have like review questions that come up. Uh, by doing that, you know, you'd, it would help. So for me back then, the board exams were, was really tough. It was like, looking at an uh, looking for the needle in the haystack and then you had to go through the needle hole to be able to prepare that right and i've gathered a bit of information on that too and many people say that the theoretical part is the most daunting part 
On the other hand, how would you say your experience was for the practical part of the board exams? Okay, so the practical part, the practical part for me had to do with a lot of basics. So for me, that was not as difficult because having done the basics, really good basics in, at UE, and plus that my, my hands, like I love the practical part of it. I had no problem with that one. My, part, my problem was on the theoretical part. So on the practical part, I had to practice exactly what was on the book. So if the book said that it had to be divergent or convergent by five degrees parallel by four to five degrees and all that, you had to do that. Your clinical judgment had to be great. You know, uh, we had live patients back then. Nowadays, they don't do live patients. It's mannequins and, and the typodons and the typodons with dental caries. So that's even more difficult because with live patients, you know, uh, with the typodont, you can really get these really tricky um, situations on. Although there is an advantage to it because on typodonts, you don't have saliva, right? You don't have an active tongue. You don't have a patient that's so fidgety moving around that if you just nick the, the adjacent tooth, that's points deducted to you. So having to prepare for the, for the uh, practical part, I just did it on my own. Some people had to go to review classes. They enrolled in review classes. And from what I gather now, most of the people that did pass the board exams here in Canada now, they went to review classes. So basically they, they had to be, um, they had to enroll in, in private classes to be able to know what the exam was gonna look like. So, but for me, I did it on my own. Uh, I didn't enroll in anything. I just like did what the book had to do, asked because I knew what, what was being required. We had to do a class three. We had to do a, a, a crown prep. We had to do an onlay. Uh, we had to do a class two amalgam. And then we had to do, I mentioned class three composite. So I just practiced on all those and, and, and just followed what the book said. You know, I set up my own little compressor, had my own little mannequin on, in the basement and I was there every night, every night practicing on typodons. Wow, very amazing. And this is why I look up to you. You're such an inspiration. And honestly, I thought before that, you know, prepping on teeth wasn't so fun. But now that I'm actually doing it myself, day in and day out, I think that that should be no problem at all. As long as you enjoy what you do, should be no problem, right? Now moving on to my next question. How would you prepare for the Canadian board exam? What would you recommend we do? My, um, my recommendation for everyone, especially you, you, since you're coming back for sure, I know that, um, really study, study hard. When I say study hard, make sure that you really prep well. Uh, theoretically, prepare yourself theoretically, you know, not only practically, but theoretically as well because that's gonna be very important when you come back to Canada, uh, preparing for the board exams. Because if your basics are not good, then you're going to have a hard time trying to keep up with it or trying to elevate yourself. But if you're already up there and then you come back here and you review, then it's going to be a lot more um, easier for you. Nothing's easy by the way, but what I'm trying to say is that if you have good preparation, you have good basics, then you're in an advantage. But if you're just coasting along, you know, passing it in, in, in the Philippines, then you may have a little bit of difficulty passing the board exams here in Canada.
Um, and I would, I would recommend that you do look at the NDEB. I mean, you can search that online. If you go NDEB, it's going to show you the process of how they do the exams. And in 2022, uh, I saw, uh, an, I think it was like an email. Uh, in 2022, the NDEB will be restructuring the way they do the exams. And so for you to be knowledgeable as to how they do it, it's best to even now, you know, Google NDEB and then see how the exams are going to be done and, and what they're requiring for you to be able to uh, pass the board exams or to be able to be certified to do uh, dentistry in Canada. And from what I heard from the, there was a podcast that the president of the NDEB did uh, last March, I believe. He was saying that they are going to create a examination center in Ottawa just for the dental board exams. Whereas in the present right now, they're administer administering the exams in different universities uh, throughout Canada, meaning Vancouver, Toronto and Ottawa or Montreal, one of the, um, so they do it at the universities. So to streamline it, particularly because nowadays uh, you never know if COVID's gonna be here forever, they are creating an exam center. So in a way it's good, right? At least you just have to fly to one place if you have to fly or drive. For you, since you're living in Ontario, you just have to drive up to Ottawa. But yeah, um, look at that, look at NDEB, and then at least you can see, you know, what they require and, and the process of establishing or trying to uh, establish practice in Canada. If it's going to be in Ottawa, it looks like it's going to be a road trip for the whole family. <laughs> so regarding the Canadian board exams, I'm aware that they brought back the equivalency process not too long ago. And you either have the option of the equivalency process where you take the ACJ, ACS, and the AFK, or you could do the qualifying program. Which one would you recommend? It, it, I think it all depends on, on your situation. If you had the money to do it, then going back to two, to two years of school is okay, right? If you don't have the money for it and you have the confidence to do that, the rest without going back to school, then great, go ahead and do it. You know, uh, so it, it depends on your confidence. A lot of times it's more of the money part of it because going back two years is a lot. So you might as well spend the money, which should probably be maybe a little, a little less than going back to school, but it still would cost you a lot of money to do the board exams. Uh, and as long as you prepare for it, you can do it. Uh, I know people that have gone both ways, meaning one did the qualifying program and he's a graduate actually of UE as well. And uh, he's from Mississauga as well. So when I did my lecture, one day I did a lecture at UE on one of my vacation trips and I was lecturing on laser dentistry. I said, yeah, my practice is in Mississauga. You know, I'm sure none of you know where that is. He raised his hand and said, I'm from Mississauga. I'm going, oh, look, you're... Uh, uh, one of the diamonds in the rough, you know, uh, knowing where Mississauga is. So he did, he, after doing his AFK, he applied for university and he got accepted at Dalhousie. So he did a two-year program. Um, 
but that's not cheap. So you have to have money to be able to do that. And I think uh, fortunately his parents backed him up on that one because you have to realize that not only um, do you have to pay for that one and I heard it's, it's quite expensive. You have to, if, you know, if you're in Dalhousie then that means you have to find a place to live as well. So for another two years, you know, you have to support yourself on that one. So it's good if you have parents that can back you up. But yeah, so now you can go either way. Either go straight to do the board exams, which uh, is going to change next year. And uh, or you can do the uh, international students qualifying program or, you know, the international dentist qualif qualifying program, which is geared towards learning the way the Canadian way is. It helps. And what it is, is the, the, the participants in that program, they work with the students of, of the university. So it's, it, it works both ways. The students learn from the knowledge of these dentists because they are already dentists. And then the dentists also learn the Canadian way of doing things. So it works well. The good thing about that is after you do that part of the exam, after doing two years, then you just do the, um, the written and the OSCE. I'll definitely keep in mind the benefits of both ways of getting licensed in Canada. So moving on to my next question, before I pursued dentistry in the Philippines, I was very hesitant. I heard many stories, many rumors that, you know, it's impossible for internationally trained dentists to be licensed in Canada. So Obviously, I'm here now. I'm in third year. I pursued it. And you wouldn't really know until you put yourself out there. Now, would you say that it's actually impossible? It's not really impossible. So the people that say that's impossible uh, should not really take the board exams. Because right away, you know, they already have that, you know, perceived notion that it's impossible. So what are you doing? You're stopping yourself right there. Whereas if you're more open-minded and say, you know what? If so-and-so made it, I can make it too. And that was me. When I took the board exams, I, when I came to Canada, I was asking some friends, friends, okay, that are practicing already. Some of them were nice. Some of them were not so nice. And they told me that, oh, it's so hard. You won't be able to do it. Just go back to the Philippines and practice there. And I looked at that person and I said, thank you very much. I'm going to prove you wrong, right? And then I heard so-and-so pass. And so if so-and-so can pass, I can pass, right? And I did that and I prepped myself. And I, and I, I really studied hard. Uh, I was working at the same time. I had a family. I had two kids. I had one kid when I started the board exam, then I had two kids when I was going through part, part three. Yeah. When I was going for part three, I had a second kid, right? Three and four. And so that was not easy, but I, you know, I put into my mind, I set it in my mind that I'm going to do this and, and I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to be a dentist. So you have to prep yourself, right? And you have to believe in yourself and have confidence in yourself that you can do it. So when they say it's impossible, it's not impossible because it, it can be done. People pass. And I know that for a fact because 
one of my associates who is a, uh, a graduate from another university, she passed, you know, she was my dental assistant. And then later on, she became a hygienist. And, and then uh, after being a hygienist for a couple of years, she said, doc, I'm going to go for the board exams. I said, go for it, do it, um, do the board exams. And she did. So now she's been practicing for the past two years. And, and she did it, she prepped, she did enroll in a review class. Um, so, you know, you, you have to have some money there again to prepare for it as well. So start saving up. Right, and you're a living example of that success. And I hope, you know, for those who are listening to this podcast, I hope you're inspired by Dr. Rodriguez's story because I for sure am listening to these stories have definitely made me more inspired towards the dream. Well, you have to. You have to. You have to hear them. You have to listen to them. You have to know, uh, gain knowledge from that, because, like I said, it's not impossible. I mean, if I did it, hey, I wasn't the top in my class, and uh, I just pursued it. And I said, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to prove it. You know that, because my thing was, in my mind, I said, what if I really prepared for the oh, what if when I turn. 65, 70, you know, and I'm in my rocking chair. I'm going like, I wonder what would have happened if I took the board exam, right? But you would never know until you do it. So I said, I don't want to regret in my old years that I, at least I didn't give it a try. So I gave it a try. I had plan A, you know, I'm going to do the board exams uh, and, and I'm going to you know, work hard for it. Plan B was if I didn't do the board exams, I'd go home to the Philippines and put up a practice like what I have in Mississauga. And you know what that looks like. And if you look back way back when I started in 1996, you know, there were only very few dental offices like that in the Philippines. Uh, and, and I was planning to do that set up somewhere in the financial district in Makati and just do my clientele will be the upper echelon, uh, top executives at all these companies, uh, the higher ups and expats that are working in the Philippines and it'll be Canadian standards, right? Because that was my, my job when I was doing my, uh, when I was working and doing the board exams, I was in dental sales. So I was setting up dental offices for Canadian dentists and I was training the Canadian dentists how to run the practice. So I had all this knowledge that I knew how to run a dental practice, I just didn't have the license. You know, so I said to myself, listen, I'm going to do the board exam. So at least I can, I can practice what I've been preaching uh, to all these dentists in Canada. I mean, in Ontario for that matter. And uh, so that gave me the confidence that if I do pass the board exams, you know, I'd set up my office and, and thank God, you know, God is good. He's great all the time. And I passed the board exams with a lot of work and a lot of prayers uh, I always went to the Fatima Shrine and across the border in, in, in New York every month, you know, to do my prayers there. <laughs> and then, you know, he granted me the, uh, the opportunity to practice dentistry. And so I'm, I'm ever grateful, but it, it's a lot of preparation. So listen to that, stick to that, gain, you know, from experiences, uh, and then hook up with people that have recently done the board exams when you come back here and learn from them and get their recommendations. Because coming from uh, Dr. Yana, she's the one that did the board exams on her own. 
she had friends that did it on their own, studied on their own without getting some uh, additional training or tutorship from the, that particular school. And, you know, she made it, right? Her friends that didn't go for it, where they were, oh, let me try it first and see how it goes. And then I can prepare for the second time. So first thing is you lose time, which you can never bring back. Secondly, it's going to cost you money. So the more you keep on trying, the more you're spending money, right? Yeah, I know you can bring back money, but you can't bring back time. So she said that by enrolling in these schools, it, it does help. But beware, uh, you know, there are some good schools and there are some uh, schools that are so-so. We all know that dentistry is a very hands-on profession. So would you say to pass the Canadian boards, do your preparations have to be nearly perfect? Definitely, not nearly perfect, but perfect. Okay, so I'll give you a couple of tips. Uh, this is from a practical standpoint of view, not necessarily the board exams, but the way you do when you eventually have to practice. The burrs, the burrs that you use, they have their sizes, correct? So if the width of the burr or the diameter of the burr, if the burr says uh, 0.1, whatever, whatever, you know that if you sink that burr, the width of that burr is 1.5. So there you go. You get that 1.5. You go beyond that, it's more than 1.5. So that's your depth, right? Now there are burrs that have depth gauges, meaning like, you run the burr on that tooth, when you're doing a crown prep, the grooves that's produced, that's 1.5 all around. Now, there are, there are diamond burrs, round burrs, that you know if you sink that burr onto the tooth because it's round, when, when that chuck or the, where the, where the channel of the burr hits the tooth, half of the burr is in it, you know that's 0.5. So then you get that 0.5 reduction. Then you just smoothen it out. So things like that help you determine depth. Oh man, I am far from perfect. You know, doing these preparations, you're gonna need a lot of patience because it could get really frustrating when you can't get the ideal depth, the ideal width, things like that. <laughs> Start practicing. Yeah. So know it's, it's your instrumentation. Know your instrumentation because if you don't have the proper instrumentation, you'll never get the pre right preparation. And that is very, very important. So the size of the burr is very important because depth-wise, there are burrs that you know that that depth is that size of the burr. And then you have a probe. Okay, you know it's that deep, you need that deep. But during the preparation, knowing your burrs, knowing your armamentarium is very important. Which reminds me, I was actually looking to invest in dental loops. Have you always used dental loops? No loops back then. <laughs> so I only used loops when I came to Canada. And, and yeah, for the board exams, I would recommend, I mean, they recommend you having loops. That's number one. Right, so, so that's the very first time I used loops. So I had to practice with loops on because if you didn't have loops before and you work with loops, it's, 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 it's not that easy, right? Because your field, <clears throat> Your, your field of view is like limited. Like you only have that big 
of a hole with the loops on, whereas here they have more perspective without the loops. So as you're putting the handpiece in the mouth, you know you gotta be you gotta be careful. So that was a that was a learning experience uh, using loops for the very first time. Now I can't work without loops. You know, I'm, 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 when you get when I hit forty, that's it. I have to use loops all the time. Right. I should probably start looking into that right now. If you're listening out there, Dad, you know what to get me for my birthday? These dental loops. <laughs> yeah. Plus, if you're gonna take the board exams, better be used to that because that's that's required. Yeah. The sooner you invest in it, although you know there there are two schools of thought on that one. Some people say that when you use loops at an early age, you're gonna lose your eyesight. I don't know. Uh, however, if you really wanna be very precise at what you do, the loops will let you really see how fine your margins are. The, the loops will allow you to see whether there is still caries in that interproximal box, right? Because uh, caries on enamel, sometimes you, know, you, could, you could miss that by just looking with your bare eyes. Now, I have, I have a scanner in the office and I scan my preps. It's amazing what you think you have, you know, even with the loops on, okay? Even with the loops on, when you do your preps and you scan it, you'll be amazed how, how you, you see that your preparation is not that smooth. When the, you'd see your margins to be really rough and you already have loops on, right? So could you imagine if you had no loops on what your margins are gonna look like? I mean, you know, we're talking, we're talking micro, like micro here. Uh, really, you know, does it, does it make a big difference? I think it does, right? It's very important uh, for the longevity of your, of your tooth or the, the vitality of the tooth and all that, for the, of all that matters. So yeah, loops play a big role the only problem is it's really expensive my dad's definitely not going to be happy with that no he's not <laughs> last but not least are there any last pieces of advice that you would like to give to our aspiring dental students for for any student you know all over the globe for that matter if if they want to be licensed in canada i would always say study hard um don't only concentrate on the books that are being used in the Philippines, but try to find out what books they use in Canada as well. And then sort of like look at the way that book is, uh, what's recommended and all that, because they do provide a list of books that are being used in Canada for the dental students. And, and then prepare yourself theoretically and clinically. If you have the good basic knowledge of doing it, there's more than likely the chance of passing is very high because I, when I passed the board exams, all of a sudden I was getting this phone calls from people that I don't even know who they are asking me, oh, could you help me? You know, I heard you passed the board exam from a friend. He gave me your number. I said, okay, fine. You know, you can come visit me or I can meet with you. And he said, yeah, I'm doing the exam, the practical now. And I just need some, uh, for you to look at my preps. So this particular individual, he came to my house and I said, okay, show me your preps on the Typodon. I said, do all the preps and show it to me. I, believe me, um, I think a second year UE student would have done a better job than he did. 
I said, show me your class one prep. I looked at it, like my eyes grew. And I said, this is your class one prep. And I just like swallowed and I said, well, you know what? You're going to have to improve on this one. Show me your class two prep. And I looked at it again and I said, oh my goodness. Uh, what school did you graduate from? You know, it, it was amazing. And I used to teach at UE and I taught for four years and I was in the prosto department and, and the resto department. So I knew, you know, I knew what to look for. And I used to teach students. And so my students that graduated or that were under me during their clinical years, you know, they knew what to do far better than these people that were taking the boarding steps in Canada. Yeah, they practiced, I mean, they passed up the written part, but their clinical part, oh my goodness. It, it was so embarrassing to look at it. And so really the board exams in Canada is not to prevent you from practicing in Canada. It's more of to weed out the people that know what they're doing and doing it properly. Yeah, you can probably be great in, in, in the theoretical part of it, but if you don't know the practical part of it, and a lot of dentistry has to do with the practical part of it. Uh, those that don't rely on the practical part of it would it'd be a limited subject matter, which being like, even if you're an uh, oral maxillofacial radiologist, you won't need to do a class one, class two prep. You know, if you're an oral surgeon, you won't need to do a class, a crown prep and all that. But you still need that, the hand skills to do that for oral surgery as well as in, 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 in any part of it. So my recommendation is study well, know the basics well, uh, do the preparations well, do the clinical aspect of it really well, far beyond anybody can expect, and for sure you'll make it. There's no doubt that you won't do it because that's all it is and that's all it takes. Your prep has to be perfect because you have to realize they're asking it from a typodon aspect. So it's a controlled environment. If it was a live patient, then you could be 90% because that other 10% is, is very subjective and it's, it's on a case-to-case -case basis because it's a live individual. But for a type of don, it's more difficult because then you have to be 100%. A big round of applause for Dr. William Rodriguez for sharing his inspirational journey on becoming a dentist in Canada. Thanks for joining us today on Tooth Untold Podcast. Remember, it only seems impossible until it's done. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Tooth Untold Podcast. Stay safe and have a great weekend. See you on our next episode.